0: And this morning, our scripture reading will be a a special presentation by our team that has been in Kenya for the last week. So join me in watching this.
1: Good morning, Christ community. We are still here in Kenya. Uh, We miss you all. and We are looking forward to greeting you soon. I am here with Gitachu, who you know, and our friend Hussein and his son, Ali Hakim. And Gitachu is going to read our scripture passage for us this morning, Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through
0: 9. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle sent not from man, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and the Father, to whom be glory, forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Verse 9, as we have, have already said so, now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you.
1: Well, isn't technology wonderful? Incredible. That allows us to hear from our team in Kenya. So that was Pastor Bill, our campus pastor on the, the far left, the, the non-Kenyan. Uh, and then we had Gitachu in the middle, who leads uh, the ministry that we partner with globally. Uh, at the 11th Hour Network, which is a church planning network and s- works to support churches and pastors in northeast Kenya and Uganda. An incredible ministry. We've been in partnership with them for a few years. And we have a team on the ground right now. I think Bill took that video like a, two days ago. Uh, so Bill and then uh, we have uh, Jose Thompson and Megan White, and we also have uh, over there Lisa Heinbach, who actually chairs our outreach leadership team. And uh, and it's they've had a great trip. They're on their way back now, um, so they're, Bill, they're probably on a plane right now. I got some emails from Bill. So we'll pray uh, for their safe travels and, uh, and also pray uh, for God to help us understand his word, to help, for God to help us understand that passage that Kitachu just read for us. Um, before that, uh, you met me already earlier, but once again, my name's Paul. I'm the associate pastor here, and I'm thrilled that you're here with us. So join me in prayer, both that we would understand this passage of scripture and for our team in Kenya. Father in heaven, truly we do thank you uh, for the wonder of technology that we can two weeks in a row see a beautiful video um, of our brothers and sisters who are across the globe. Um, Thank you for the opportunity for a few of of us uh, here from the Brookside campus to journey there, um, to partner deeper and to grow in relationship with one another. We pray that we too, um, back here in Kansas City, would uh, grow from the the fruit of their work, um, our team that is over there uh, that is partnering with the good work that's already happening in the 11th Hour Network. We pray for them and we pray for those four individuals traveling back here, Lord, that they would be safe. Uh, We pray as well for our time here this morning. Um, I love that uh, Christians all over the world have the exact same Bible. Galatians 1, 1 through 9 is the same here as it is in Kenya, and I pray, Father, that as we study uh, the first chapter of Galatians and the beginning of chapter 2 that we would understand it. Amen. Now, you might be a little bit confused by that scripture reading, not because it was a video when it's normally not, but because if you were here last week, then what you're probably thinking is, wait a second, I thought we were studying the book of Acts, and that was definitely Galatians. How did I, did I blink and miss like 20 chapters of Acts? What happened? And and if you are thinking that, that's really fair. Um, no, you, you didn't blink and, and miss Acts chapters 10 through 28. And instead, what we're doing is, you see, last week uh, we met in Acts chapter 9, we met the Apostle Paul, and he experienced this incredible transformation. Jesus broke in incredibly, and he transferred uh, Paul from the road of destruction that he was on to the road uh, of life. He transferred Paul from a life where, where Paul was dedicated to destroying the early church, to a life where Paul was dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that last part, what Paul was transferred to, what he was transformed from and then to, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is is why we're pausing our journey in the book of Acts and, and picking up the book of Galatians. Because the gospel of Jesus is at the heart of Paul's transformation of his change. It is at the heart of his life and work. And here at Christ Community, we're we're not shy about sharing and proclaiming that this very same gospel is at the foundation of all that we say, do, and think. It's important to us, too. And since this gospel is so important, it demands serious examination. We ought to look at it and scrutinize it with difficult questions. Do we know the gospel? Do we have the gospel? Do we possess it? Are we committed to it fully? Or is there any way that we might be ignorant of it? Is there any possibility that we could be drifting from this gospel that is so important? Well, no New Testament book uh, describes the gospel of Jesus more with more visceral emotion than the, the book of Galatians. It's the first letter from the Apostle Paul written to a church in the region of Galatia, and he helped start this church. And the church started off well. The people received the gospel willingly with joy. But then, as you heard Gitachu read in Galatians chapter 1, something happened, and the people began to desert the gospel. So Paul writes a letter to address this deeply serious problem. And the letter, Galatians, which is the book of Galatians in our Bible, has the gospel of Jesus at the very central theme. Even look at the first chapter of Galatians. The word gospel appears there five times. This is what Paul is repeatedly coming back to. And so from the book of Galatians, from this early letter written to a church, we can answer, I believe, this very important two-part question. What is the gospel and what happens when we miss it? What is the gospel and what happens when we miss it? Now, we're going to seek to answer that question this morning, but we're also going to be answering that question over the course of the next eight weeks as well. Since the gospel is the central theme of the book, Paul comes back to it over and over again as he attacks this problem from different angles. So this morning will be a sort of overview. We'll try to answer this question at a 30,000-foot flyover level, and then we'll dive deeper each of the subsequent Sundays. So this driving question, really, it stands for this Sunday, but it's also for each and every week of our series. What is the gospel, and what happens when we miss it? Now since Paul's central theme in Galatians is the gospel, you would expect and you would find that he gives a summary of it immediately in the book. Look back with me at our passage, Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and those verses read this way. Grace and peace to you, grace and peace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, the core of the summary of the gospel is contained right in the middle of these verses. Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. It's the core of Paul's summary of the gospel. This is how he's defining it. And, and for us, we might paraphrase what Paul has said here uh, In this way, here's our working definition of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which, if you trust him above all others, saves you from sin and gives you new life now. Now, That's our attempt at answering the first part of our driving question. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which, if you trust him above all others, saves you from sin and gives you new life. Now, obviously, we could spend a whole lot of time peeling back the layers of that definition, but instead, this morning, we're going to forge ahead to the second half of our question, what happens when you miss the gospel? Because by looking at what happens when we miss it, I believe that we will grow in our understanding of it. So what happens when you miss the gospel? Well, first, when you miss the gospel... You exchange good news for bad advice. You exchange good news for bad advice. Remember, this church in Galatia started off well. They received the gospel of Jesus preached by Paul with joy. But then something happened and they began to veer off path. And Paul hints at what happened to cause the church to falter in verses 6 through 9 of our passage. I'm going to read those for us again. Verses 6 through 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So the something, the event that happened to cause this church that had started well to falter is that agitators, those who Paul said are troubling the church, they came in and they came in proclaiming and preaching a very dangerous message. You see, the church in Galatia was composed primarily of non-Jewish people, and so while we don't have exactly what the message of these false brothers were, it's probably what they were preaching is something along these lines. Yes, yes, all of that stuff about Jesus is true. We agree with Paul. Yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's the Lord, absolutely, we agree with Paul, but he just, he just Paul, like, he missed this tiny little part. It's Jesus, absolutely, but you also have to become circumcised and become fully Jewish in order to truly be saved and become part of God's family. That's what most scholars think the central thrust of this message is that was causing the church in Galatia to to stumble. And I think we can see how dangerous it is because we know this to be true as well. The most dangerous lies contain a lot of truth in them. The most dangerous lies have a lot of truth at their core. And this was a dangerous lie. Yes, Jesus, absolutely. There's just, you got to do this one other thing. It's an incredibly dangerous message, a dangerous lie, and it was causing the church to falter. Paul hears that the teaching is present, and worse than that, he hears that the church is listening to this teaching, that they are being swayed and convinced, and so he writes the letter of Galatians to them. And and if you didn't catch it, either from Gitachu's reading or from my own, Paul is not happy. He is furious, and I think we can tell this both in the words that he chooses and his tone. Verse 6, he says, I am astonished right? But I think we can also tell by what he leaves out. So if you, if you look at any of the other letters of Paul to churches, if you look at Ephesians, if you look at Romans, Philippians, Corinthians, virtually all of them have this section right at the beginning of the letter after his introduction and greeting where he takes space and sometimes a lot of space to include a thanksgiving. And remember, they didn't have unlimited resources of paper. They were dealing, I mean, they chose their words very carefully in letters. And flip to Ephesians. Look at how big the thanksgiving is that he gives those folks. He's incredibly thankful for them. And he takes time to tell them what he's thankful for. But the thanksgiving is notably absent in the book of Galatians. It's just not there. He jumps right from saying, hey, I'm Paul. Yeah, sure, grace and peace to you. Right into what he's angry about, what he's furious about. It's a lot like that angry email at work. You know the one, right? You have the bad meeting and and it it went kind of awful and then you go back to your office and there's already an email in your inbox and it, it doesn't have a subject. It's just a little parenthetical, no subject. And the person that sent it, you're like, oh no, I know what this is. And you click on it and there's no greeting. There's no like, hey everyone, or how are you doing? They just launch right into the tirade. We've received emails like this, have we not? I mean, this this is what the letter of Galatians is. And and it's interesting because letter writing of the day always included a Thanksgiving. And these these were written to be read in public. So so the letter, the person, whoever was charged, just gets up and starts reading through the letter. Like, wait, did you skip over the Thanksgiving? It's like, no. He didn't include one. He launches right in in verse 6. I am astonished that you are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Now, I had Gitachi read a slightly different translation than the English Standard Version because I think it drives home the seriousness of what's happening. You see, instead of the word accursed, which is in the English Standard Version, the version that Gitachi read used the phrase eternally condemned. Eternally condemned. Let anyone who is preaching anything other than the gospel of Jesus to you be eternally condemned. I think we feel the weight of that a little bit more. And I don't want you to miss what's happening there either, right? Because Paul includes himself in that. Did you, did you see that? He says, if I come back to you and preach something different than what I first preached to you, which was Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, then let me be eternally condemned. And he says, if an angel comes from heaven and preaches a different message to you other than Jesus, which is what we first preached to you, let that angel be eternally condemned. And certainly, he says, let the people that are currently preaching a different message to you, let them be eternally condemned as well and he says it twice again limited space you didn't repeat things unless you really wanted to drive the point home again I say to you let anyone who is preaching a message different than what we first preached to you and what you first received let him go straight to hell That is the weight of what Paul is communicating and I want us to feel that. And the reason that Paul is so deadly serious is because he knows there are not two competing gospels for you to choose between. Oh, I like gospel A or oh, I like gospel B. I like Paul's gospel, but you know, Paul's gospel is good, but I like that these guys added on in gospel B over here. Paul says, no, there are not two gospels. There's one gospel and everything else is good advice. Or bad advice. There's one gospel and everything else is advice. Throughout this letter, and we'll see this as we journey through Galatians, throughout this letter, Paul will point back to the Old Testament, drawing out over and over and over again what happens is that God's people fail to live up to the law of Moses. He will shout this from the mountaintops in this letter. He will say, the law does not save you. It is not good news. And that basic distinction is still true today. We might not be tempted to add Jewish law onto the gospel, but I do think that we are still tempted to trust in advice, aren't we? Because in one sense, a lot of today's advice does improve our lives dramatically. We, we can't deny that. Drink half your body weight in water each day, good advice. Your skin will be better. Limit your screen time before you go to bed. Good advice. You won't get headaches and you'll fall asleep faster. Change your furnace filters a few times a year. Take time for self-care. Listen well in order to improve your relationships. Good advice, good advice, good advice. Even great advice. But here's the thing. None of that advice or any other good advice for that matter will save you. No advice whatsoever will fix our central problem that we have sinned against the God of the universe and we remain separated from Him, enemies, destined for eternal death because we have unplugged ourselves from the author of life. Advice, no matter how good, great, or brilliant it might be, ain't fixing that. So when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to fixing that central problem that we all have, all advice is bad advice. That's not an absolute rule. Again, some advice is really, really good and really, really helpful, but when it comes to our salvation, all advice is bad advice. And it can't do a thing to help us. Or here's another way at it. The best advice, no matter how great it is, the greatest advice in the world is still not good news. The best advice is still not good news. There's an old preacher, wonderful preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he helps us understand the difference between advice and news with this analogy. He says, in the ancient world, if an army went to battle and they lost, the army would send messengers back with advice. You can fight the army that's coming to destroy you, or you can run like mad. I mean, that's advice, isn't it? And this is what every other religion or worldview offers. Figure out how to save yourself and good luck as you go on. That's advice. You can fight the army that's coming to destroy you or you can run from it. But but what what if your army won that battle? What if your army didn't lose? What if the soldiers that you sent out to fight, what if they conquered the other army? What would the messengers come back doing? They would come back singing good news, right? They would sing, and you could hear them coming from miles away. The entire town would rush to the gates to hear the good news proclaimed. The victory is ours. Our soldiers have won. Believe it, celebrate it, and live in the freedom that's been achieved for you. That's good news, not advice. And our story, the Christian story, the gospel of Jesus, folks... It's good news, not advice. In fact, it's the best news. The best news that what you couldn't do was done for you. That when you were stumbling around trying to save yourself, God won the battle and made a way for you in Jesus. The good news of the gospel doesn't gloss over the bad news. Yes, you are a great sinner, the greatest sinner, says the gospel, but here's the good news that fixes that problem. Jesus is a greater savior and he's already secured the victory for you. All you need to do is receive it. When it comes to our salvation, I wonder why are we so addicted to advice when the best news of all time is available? When you miss the gospel, you exchange good news for bad advice. Second, when you miss the gospel, you exchange God's word to you for man's opinion of you. You exchange God's word to you for man's opinion of you. Paul makes this point in Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12. He writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by any man, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is adamant. I did not make the gospel up that I preached to you. I did not invent it by my own accord, but instead I got it from the risen Jesus himself. He revealed it to me. The reason that this point is so important or the the point is so important to Paul, this point is that he ends up spending the rest of chapter 1 if you look down and kind of read ahead, and the beginning of chapter 2, defending this point, I didn't get it from any other man, he goes on and on and on, and, and when we read those verses, they might strike us as odd, they, it seems like Paul's just kind of rambling, like what point is he making here, he's, he's like, I was here for a while, I was there for a while, I saw this person, but I didn't see that, per- I mean, he's. I was here for three years, and then there for 14, yes, I, I, I was in Jerusalem, and I, I did meet with Peter then, and I, I bumped into James, you, you remember James right he's the brother of jesus and but that was it i didn't see any of the other apostles and then immediately don't don't forget this immediately after my transformation on the damascus road i didn't see any of those guys right then you know, instead i went to arabia and then and well yeah eventually i made my way back to jerusalem but and we compared notes and what what we found out when i got there is that we were all preaching the exact same message But but we weren't preaching the exact same message because we had colluded together and had, had invented a story. We were preaching the exact same message because they got it from the risen Jesus and I was preaching that message because I got it also from the risen Jesus. That's the source of the message. And the reason that he keeps driving this point home over and over and over again, it's not from Peter, it's not from James, it's not from John, it's not from any other man, is because Paul knows that what makes the gospel unique is that it's God's word to you. The gospel is God's revelation of himself to us, and it's proven with an empty tomb. The the foundational difference between Christianity and every other religion is that we say, if you can find Jesus' body we will all pack up and go home. And, and sure, it might be easy for us to say that today, 2,000 years later, but the first Christians said that too. If you can, pr- if you can find Jesus' body, this is all over. Because what we're building this thing on is the fact that a man who was once dead lives again. And he appeared to over 500 of us. And he made clear to us what his purpose is and what our message is and what we ought to do with it. That's what all of this is built upon. And we stand in that rich and beautiful tradition 2,000 years later and 6,000 miles away. That is different than any other religion. We'll all pack up and go home, and somebody can prove to me that Jesus did not rise from the dead. Christianity is not based on the authority of man. It wasn't revealed to just one person who ends up then founding that religion, saying, Well, God showed me this new thing that He's doing. He told me about this. Christianity is not an abstract idea that you can discover in nature. Well, it appears from this, that, and the other that there is or is not a God. No. The gospel, which sits at the very center of the Christian religion, is a word spoken from God to us, it's a word spoken from God to us, and furthermore, it is a beautiful word. It is a word that says yes to us when all we deserve to hear is no. It is a word that calls us lovely when we are anything but. It is a word that affirms and approves, and it is a word that saves. The word of the gospel of Jesus is entirely different than the opinion of man. To miss the gospel is to exchange God's beautiful word to you for the condemning opinion of man about you. Man's opinion is a depressing word. It is a word that reminds us of how we don't measure up. We're just not quite there. It is a word that breaks down and denies and defines and denies and divides us. The opinion of man is a word that proclaims bad news and then tries to fix it by offering advice. Why in the world do we listen to the word of man so consistently, so faithfully? Why do we turn to that word when such a beautiful word is offered in the gospel? There are lots of reasons, I think. But one is that God often speaks quietly. Of course, there are times when he does shout But I think more consistently, God whispers his good and beautiful word to us. And it can be easy to miss. I find that it's far easier to pay attention to the word of man, which is broadcast to us at all times and in all ways set at level 11. This is why I love the song, Full Attention, so much. Full Attention. We sing that song here at the Brookside campus often. The opening line of that song. May your voice be louder may your voice be clearer than all the others, than all the others. We need that prayer, don't we? May your voice, God, be louder in my life so that I can hear the beautiful word of the gospel and mute the condemning opinion of man. But when, when we do it the other way, when we listen to the condemning opinion of man spoken about us, and when we mute God's beautiful word to us, the result is disastrous. Because what happens when we reverse it and when we mute God's beautiful word is that we become slaves. And that's the third thing that happens when we miss the gospel. When we miss the gospel, we exchange freedom for slavery. We exchange freedom for slavery. Jump to Galatians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, why did they do that? So that they might bring us into slavery. To these false brothers, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. and We didn't yield because we wanted the truth of the gospel to be preserved for you. Church, here is the beautiful, simple result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It sets you free. It rips off the chains, and it releases you. In Christ Jesus, you have freedom. And the church in Galatia, they had this freedom in Jesus Christ. They had experienced it. And the reason Paul knew they had experienced it is because it was so beautiful and so pure and so true That other people, false brothers who did not have that freedom, snuck in so that they could spy upon it. Do we have freedom like that? Freedom that is so attractive that we have people coming to us going, how are you so free? I don't know. I don't know if we do, but the church in Galatia had it. And Paul knew that they were dangerously close to losing it. Because when you add anything to Jesus, the law of Moses to Jesus... When you add rules to Jesus, how many churches add rules to Jesus? When you add politics to Jesus, how many churches add politics to Jesus? When you add the American dream to Jesus, how many of us are living by the American dream and not the Jesus way? When you add anything to Jesus, you lose everything and become a slave again. You might be wearing different shackles than you were before, but they are shackles nonetheless. Again, we're probably not tempted to become slaves to the law of Moses like the church in Galatia was. We're not considering adding circumcision or food laws into our journey with Jesus. But how many of us feel like slaves to our upbringing, slaves to our past, to our peers, to our ambitions, our addictions, our desires? How many of us are slaves again? And these are our attempts to be good enough. These are our attempts to contribute something, anything to our salvation. We think we're free, don't we? I firmly believe that is the pull of the American story uh, upon us. Because after all, we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, don't we? We're not really free. Consider Madonna, an icon of freedom. Riches, fame, beauty, talent. But do you remember what she said a few years ago? This is Madonna. I have an iron will. And all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that fear is always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. This is the slavery that we make for ourselves. And I'm not pointing fingers at Madonna because I know that I do the exact same thing. Did you hear her language there? Even though I've become somebody, world famous, No, I mean, every, everybody wants to be Madonna. Even though I've become somebody, I still have to what? I have to prove that I'm somebody. That's justification language. She wakes up every morning and she tries to prove herself, to justify her existence, who she is and what she does. Do you know what? It might look different for me, but I do the exact same thing. I'm tempted to, to, to forego what I know to be true in the gospel that I don't have to prove anything to anybody because Jesus stands in my place, but I'm tempted to forego, gore that truth, forego, forego that truth and try to prove myself by how good a father I am, by how good a pastor I am, by this, that, or the other. All of us, in one way or another, are on this same journey that Madonna is on trying to prove ourselves. And we'll never get there. We'll be running on that treadmill until the cows come home. when we slip back into that, when we step on that treadmill of slavery, what we're doing is we're telling Jesus that he's, not just, he's just not quite enough for us. I like you, Jesus, but I, just, I still need to date other people too. And we do that to him, we tell him that, when Jesus is the only one that offers true freedom. True freedom. That's important, isn't it? True freedom. Because freedom, this is what we think freedom is, In America, we think it means we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. We think that is what true, absolute freedom is. But that is not gospel freedom. That is not Jesus' freedom. And really, that freedom is just another form of slavery. You don't want that. You don't want let-it-go, frozen type of freedom. You don't. It leaves you empty and disconnected. And it's different than gospel freedom. It's different than Jesus' freedom. Paul unpacks this freedom different uh, later on in the book of Galatians. Jesus freedom is the freedom to live well, to love well, to be whole. Doesn't that freedom sound better? Freedom that gives purpose, direction, definition that allows us to remain connected with ourselves and with others. Somebody slipped me a note after first service. It's so good I'm going to read it. It's a quote Freedom is not the power to do what I want. Rather, it is the power to do what I ought. Freedom is not the power to do what I want. Rather, it is the power to do what I was created to be and do. That is true freedom. And that is the freedom that is available to us in Christ Jesus. But that freedom, Jesus' freedom, is lost when we add on to Jesus. And the Apostle Paul knew this, and that's why he's so mad. He knew how close the church in Galatia was to exchanging their freedom in Jesus for just another form of slavery. Paul knew Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. The simple truth is that you can't add anything to Jesus. When you do, you miss the gospel. And when you miss the gospel, you exchange good news for bad advice You exchange God's word to you for man's opinion of you. You exchange freedom for slavery. And finally, and and most tragically, when you miss the gospel, you exchange him for an it. You exchange him for an it. Maybe you caught this our first time through Galatians 1, but, but look back at chapter 1, verse 6. Paul writes this. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, not it. We'd expect it because he's talking about the gospel. But Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I mean, this is why in our definition of the gospel, we said that you are saved by trusting in him, not it. We cannot ever for a second, miss the centrality of Jesus to the gospel. It is his gospel, isn't it? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that it belongs to him. What it means is he's at the very center of it. What it means is that ultimately we don't trust the gospel. Ultimately, we trust Jesus. Ultimately, we don't trust it. We trust him. You see, for Paul, this is not a debate between two philosophies or two religions. Fundamentally, this is a debate between a system and a son. A system and a son. A system that leads to slavery and death or a son, the son of God, Jesus, who leads to freedom and life. We spend our whole lives just like Madonna, searching desperately for anyone or anything that will tell us that we are all right, that will speak a beautiful word to us, that it's going to be okay, that we're going to make it. We are all on that search, whether we are Christians or non-Christians. And Paul says in Galatians, here he is. Stop searching. Look no farther. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, the God-man who left heaven to come here and get you. Jesus, who lived perfectly because he knew you couldn't. Jesus, who died your death and then rose again so that you could have life with him now and forevermore. Acceptance, transformation, freedom, joy, everything that we long for and need in life is available in Christ Jesus in him. So don't abandon him, Paul says. Don't, I'm astonished, don't abandon him. That's Paul's message to the church in Galatia, and it's his message to us, the church in Brookside. Will we listen? Will we heed? Will we remain with him, Jesus? That's my hope, and that is my prayer. Let's go to him now. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for him. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we get a choice between system and son, and help us, Father in heaven, to choose your son, Jesus, each and every time, because we know that his way, the Jesus way, leads to freedom, it leads to life, it leads to acceptance, it leads to everything we're looking for and searching for. Help us, all of us, by the power of your spirit, to choose Jesus. Amen.